We've been working through this series in Corinthians, the idea of comfort in hardship. And uh, these past few months, I think have brought into stark uh, evidence how important and how desperately we need to know and we need to search for truth. What is true? And uh, as we look at this little section this afternoon, I want to see that we can find comfort as we find the truth of Jesus Christ. So I want to see four things. The first thing I want to see is this. We desperately need truth. These past few months have been for me marked with uh, an uncertainty about truth. Causes, cures, contagions, conspiracy theories, 5G, masts, Wuhan labs, CIA conspiracies. In fact, I heard on the radio just in this past week, so much false ideas, so much uh, insecure concepts out there that the government have decided that they need to put a radio advert warning us about false news on social media and, and, and mediums even like this. You might even think that that's questionable that the government has had to do that. It can be incredibly fearful and destabilizing when we feel as if we, we haven't got anywhere to go to, to find truth. Jesus promised that he would bring us truth. In fact, he described himself as the way and the truth and the life. That's great news for us. More than any time in human history, I would suggest the idea of truth is under threat. And more than any time, we need to understand how we can find comfort in the truth of Jesus. So as we read through these verses again and just work through them little by little over these next few minutes, I want to notice a few things. The first thing that I want to see is that we are we are joined, or I'm going to use a, a kind of an older word that, that was used for being joined in the past, joined with ideas or committed to ideas. I'm going to say that we are wedded to a greater truth. And you'll see why I use that word wedded in a few minutes. Look at verse 1 to 4 of chapter 11. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. You see, what's happening in the Corinthian church is Paul, having spent time with them and having presented to them Jesus, 
what's happened in his absence is that there have been teachers have arrived and have now twisted and reshaped and presented an alternative to the Jesus Christ that Paul had proclaimed to them. And he describes it firstly by recognizing that the search and the grounds of truth about God have been under threat from the very beginning of human history. Look at the way he describes it. He says that right at the beginning, just as Eve was deceived about the truth of God, I fear that you've been deceived by the truth of God. From what was beforehand a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, I feel as if you're drifting, as if you're heading in a different way. What he wants to remind us of in being wedded to the greater truth is Jesus, is that we recognize firstly that the truth depends not in ideas, not in concepts, not in thoughts. The truth, the truth's first foundation is in what God does. First comfort comes in who Jesus Christ is. And Paul, in a remarkable way, in just a few verses, he ties together the beginning and the end of time with the idea of truth about Jesus. You see the way he's talking about the very beginning and truth being twisted and misshapen by the serpent's cunning with regard to Eve. He's already connected us with the end of time because he's described us being presented or the Corinthian church being presented to Jesus Christ as a bride to a husband, a pure virgin for Jesus Christ. This beautiful idea of a marriage ceremony. If you trace that idea through the Bible, you'll find that right at the very end, that's how the church is described. And Paul is saying, I want you to understand that the truth of Jesus and the comfort that you can find in that truth is found in the fact that that truth is assured out there in a hope of Jesus. Truth has been incredibly important, but it always depends on what God does. In Isaiah chapter 40, we talk about or we hear about God comforting his people. Comfort my people, it opens up with. How does God comfort his people? By preparing a way in the desert, a highway for God to make his presence with them, a highway for the Lord. I want to encourage you as we feel uncomfortable about the ideas of truth, about the ideas of what's going to happen. How, how can we ever rely on, on anything? The Bible doesn't demand that we claim or that we put our trust in ideas. It demands that we put our trust in the actions of God. And what he did is he came to be present with us. 
just the way he was present with Adam and Eve at the very beginning of time when God was in relationship with humanity, God reestablishes that relationship in Jesus. And that's comfort to us because it all starts with what God does. We are wedded to that greater truth. We are married to that truth of God's actions. But secondly, truth always comes with the danger of deception. How serious is it to misrepresent the message of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul describes the idea in these opening verses that that you've started to head off in a different direction. And he equates that different direction to the deceptive work of Satan. That's how serious misrepresenting the truth of Jesus is in Paul's mind. This solid foundation that the only thing that we need to trust in is the actions of Jesus. The fact that he came made himself present, the fact that he lived, the fact that he died, the fact that he rose again and returned to heaven to return again at a future point to judge the earth, those actions and the action that he performs by saying, if you trust in this, then you will find life. To misrepresent that, Paul says, is doing the work of Satan. Now that's a heavy burden for anybody who, who wants to try to share the message of the Bible, to be so careful that, that what we're sharing is this consistent message of the Bible. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, what I presented to you was this message of Jesus. And if anybody comes and presents a different message of Jesus, something that relies on a different spirit rather than the spirit of God that I brought, be wary, be careful. But at the same time, be comforted. Today, we can be comforted if we are married, if we are wedded to that truth of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing to see, that we are wedded to a greater truth. Second thing to see is that this truth is never self-serving. We're going to read from verse 5 to verse 11, the next little section. I do not think I am the least inferior to these super apostles. You'll see in the, in the text there, super apostles is in speech marks. It's saying these super apostles, it's a sarcastic idea that Paul is bringing. These people who claim to be super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to ele elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. 
as surely as the truth of God is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. This caricature that Paul brings of these super apostles, these infiltrators, these people who have started to take the Corinthian church in a different direction, taking them away from the simple message of Jesus, saying, I want you to understand, I want you to remember that I didn't come with clever words. Do you see that in verse six? I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. What Paul's saying there is he wants to remind us that the message that he brought was not wrapped up with super slick, super smart, super clever presentation, but it was true knowledge. It seems as though what he's saying is that these super apostles, they've got everything. They've got the, they've got the slick presentation. They've got the super training as orators. They've got everything that seemed appealing in the Corinthian church, in the Greco-Roman world where people were esteemed if they were really smart in their oratory. And Paul says, I didn't come like that. I'm not trained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. That's what I brought to you. And I made it clear to you perfectly you know, I think one of the things that Paul is saying there to the Corinthian church is just as relevant to us today. Beware, I think he's saying, when the message is judged by the quality of its communication rather than the truth that was being proclaimed. That's what he's saying. There is, there is a fine line because we value the message of Jesus Christ, because we think it is a valuable message, that, that means that we want to present it as well as we can. But when the way that we communicate and the slickness that we communicate and the, the clever language and uh, incredible kind of presentation or all of that kind of thing, when that becomes more important, than the true message, then we're often heading in a wrong direction because that slick presentation doesn't point to Jesus. It points to the people who are making the communication. It seems that's the problem with the super apostles. Paul came not as a trained speaker, but he brought truth. These guys came as super smart speakers People would listen to them. They, they were appealing. But it wasn't pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to them. And we can see this. In fact, having spent the past three weeks talking about money, it's fascinating that Paul relates the idea of money and support for paying for the, uh, for the work of the gospel to the idea of truth. Because when communication becomes self-serving, it very often goes hand in hand with financial greed. Look at the way Paul unfolds what he has done. 
he came to Corinth. Now, remind ourselves again what Corinth was like. It was an incredibly cosmopolitan, rich city. It was a, a huge trading city. In fact, it was on the line where ships would literally be dragged from from one sea to the next so that they could massively reduce their journey, uh, dragged across the land so that they could take a shortcut. And, and Corinth became this incredible trading city. It was a rich city. In fact, if Paul wanted to really make his name and and money was the priority for him when it came to pre preaching the message of the Bible, Corinth was a great place to go because there was plenty of money in Corinth. But look at what actually happened. He didn't take any money from the Corinthians to preach the message of the gospel. He's not saying that it's wrong to be paid for preaching the gospel. He's committed to that. That was his that was his commitment for life and people were supporting him to do it. But when he came to Corinth, it says in verse seven, it wasn't a sin for him to not be paid by them. Instead, he was supported financially by the church in Macedonia. Now that is incredible because what we learned in the previous few chapters was that actually the church in Macedonia was quite poor. But they loved the gospel so much that they financially supported Paul so that he could go to Corinth and carry on proclaiming the gospel in a rich city. Isn't that incredible? Astounding, amazing. Paul continued to do that so that there could be no accusation whatsoever that he was in it for money. I think the way that Paul ties the idea of money in this second section to the super apostles is because they were precisely connecting their super communication with financial gain. His goal, Paul's goal, was love for the Corinthians and the desire for them to come to know Jesus. That's what he says in verse 11. As surely at verse 10, as surely as the truth, the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Did I come to you and not receive financial support for you because I don't really love you? Of course not. God knows I love you. His goal was love for them so that they might love Jesus. So the first thing that we saw is that we are wedded to a greater truth. The second thing is that the truth is never self-serving. The third is this, be comforted, truth will win. You know, this uncertainty that we've experienced, this um, almost pouring petrol onto the, the bonfire of a lack of truth, that's what it feels like to me. We reach this point, don't we, where we wonder, how are we ever going to get out of this idea of a, 
and an unstable shifting sand where we can't ever find truth in the world anymore. James describes it like being tossed on the waves of a sea. It was seen a really powerful sea uh, where we can't, we can't gain any kind of stability ourselves because the sea is tossing us backwards and forwards. That's how James describes it. That's how it often feels in terms of truth in this world. Can we ever find anything solid again in this shifting sand? In believing in Jesus, is there any future solidity? Be comforted. Truth will win. Look at verse 12. I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants are also, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. If it was the case back in the first century AD, within a few decades after Jesus, if it was the case in the Corinthian church that the work of Satan was being done by people who were presenting themselves as angels of light, givers and bringers of truth, then the reality is that that has been the case for the church from now, from then until now, and will continue to be into the future. Don't be surprised that one of the threats to truth comes not from outside the church, but from inside the church. Beware, he says, of those who twist the message of Jesus, appearing to be angels of light. How can we spot that? How can we see that? The first thing is that they twist the message of the Bible. The second is that we see the telltale signs in their self-serving desires. where style becomes more important than truth and financial gain becomes more important than love and service. How does that give us any hope that there will ever be a resolution of this idea of truth? Well, the last sentence in our reading today gives us all the hope. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Paul is connecting here what he said right at the beginning of this chapter, describing an idea that we are the bride of Jesus Christ. He's saying there will be an end when the truth of Jesus will be seen as solid and reliable, absolute and complete, because Jesus will one day return. Because the love that Paul was expressing for the, Christ, the Corinthian church is only a mirror, if you like, 
for the love that God has for his church. So much so that he will absolutely make sure that the truth wins. His truth, the truth of Jesus. So in the in this uncertainty is the as we move out of this lockdown and we we will continually continually asking the question, where is the truth? Be comforted. The truth that we need to know is based on the act of God in Jesus Christ, which represents his love for us. Be comforted by that. And then the second thing is be comforted by the absolute confidence that this truth will win. It won't always be like this. I want to give you a few, we've been doing this new thing, summer takeaways. So you always uh, hear the word of God and sometimes you go away from go away from the service or go away from the TV or the computer or wherever you're watching and it can quickly go away. So we want to give you a few things just to maybe cause this to resonate as you go through the week. So if you've just got one minute, if you've just got one minute in the week, which it could, e- could easily be the case for many of you, um, hold on to that one minute and take away in this world of, of so much, so many stories, uh, so many opinions and so much uh, mistruth and all the rest of it. Hold on to Paul's reminder to hang on to the truth and hang on uh, to the reminder that that truth is seen most clearly, is evidenced most strongly in in Jesus, in his actions. So the truth is that there is a way back to God. The truth is forgiveness is available. The truth is you're deeply, deeply loved by the God who created the universe. Those those kinds of things remain true. Hold hold on to those things. If you've got one minute, just just have a little reflection, a little word with yourself. And and allow that truth just to to help you to separate some of the junk, do you know? Because I think we all need to separate some of the junk sometimes. So in a world of loads of stories, hold on to what's true. That's a great reminder. If you've got five minutes, this might take a bit longer than five minutes. It takes me longer than five minutes to do this kind of thing. Add, add Matt's song to your playlist. Add How Deep the Father's Love to your playlist, just so that you can have that notion floating around somewhere in your week of the depth of God's love, which I'm going to guess, because it happens to the pastors as well, that we just forget, even as Christians, we forget the truth of that. We forget that God really does hold out for us, that he really does love us, that he is a loving father. And it's good to have that truth just bounce around in our heads. Just add that to your playlist this week. That's if you've got five minutes. And the last one, 10 minutes. I don't know if this will take 10 minutes. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. If you've got 10 minutes, get get hold of that. Maybe tonight as your nighttime read, that kind of thing. 10 minutes. So, as we've heard today, we kind of know that this Christian life, or this life, bit of a battle, bit of a spiritual struggle, loads of loads of untruths. And Paul's reminded us that that's, that's maybe always been the case. Since the beginning, there has been this wrestle. Let's think about, it's a great little, great little passage at the end of Ephesians, about the armor of God. So maybe you'll be familiar about it. Let's think about ways that 
we can. I mean, half the time with our Christian faith, we it feels to me like we just try and get by. Uh, but there are ways that the Bible gives us to to think about how we can really be strong, and how we can really see truth clearly, and how we can really live lives well. And Corinthians chapter six, verse ten to twenty, is one of those passages that will just maybe uh, bring some of that truth to bear. Uh, so just read read through the armor of God and reflect on how you can put some of that on in your week. One minute, five minute, ten minute. Take them away and hang on to the words of truth. Thanks so much for joining us. We will be back here soon enough. Have a good week. Thank you.